Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a chief evangelist? That's what we're exploring at chiefevangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from an SEO analyst and the founder of After Your PhD. What's the tie to this podcast? He wrote his doctoral dissertation in the Media School at Indiana University about evangelism. The title, Evangelism in the Tech Industry, a few parts of his process, interviewing 17 evangelists, drawing parallels to sports fandom and religious evangelism, and applying social identity theory and diffusion of innovation theory. His name? Ryan Collins. Ryan, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to get into it. I really appreciated you reaching out uh, after you completed the dissertation to share it with me. I was a little bit yeah. slow on the draw and responding to that one, but um, really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to talking about it. But where I want to start is where we always start on this podcast, which is what is the more, most important job or the most important role of an evangelist? At least from my research, I would say like education is the primary and what drives evangelism is just there's this new innovation. So evangelists need to educate people like based on their experience that they have in the industry, talk about the innovation in a way that other people can understand outside of that space. Love it. And so uh, that's obviously why you wound up focusing on tech sector, I'm sure, is that that's probably where the most evangelists are. Yeah. Uh, but before we kind of get into the specifics how do you even define evangelism? Um, you know, like when people say like, what is the work of an evangelist? What would you, how would you respond to that based on your interviews? I think it widely kind of differs like based on who the audience is or they're placed within the organization. So like their chief evangelist, their audience is going to be widely different than maybe like an advocate who might be working more closely with users. So I think mostly like, Depends, again, on the audience. So one of the things I found really interesting about the dissertation mm -hmm. was the range of different types of evangelists. So maybe just give us a quick walk through there. Like, as you as you were seeking evangelists, you were probably uh, searching Twitter, LinkedIn, probably LinkedIn more than anything. Mm -hmm. And you're finding them in different seats and different roles. Break that down for folks, because I don't think people understand the, the breadth of yeah. Um, applications. Yeah, and that was something when I was doing the kind of the initial sort of uh, research for it and just trying to find people that maybe would fit in with the study overall. Cause there's a lot of evangelists from like different industries. So like there's healthcare, um, just general tech. There's also people in the legal space. Like it, it ranged a lot. And I think a lot of it is just kind of narrowing it down too, cause th there are a lot of people, but I think I was also a little wary of, I think sometimes people can use the title. You can put it on your title on LinkedIn and on <laughs> It won't matter, but I was hoping to find someone with that title within the organization. We're paying you being an evangelist and not the other way around. So I think that was also kind of a hurdle I had to kind of get through, but, but that was kind of like the scope of the project. Yeah. I've seen chief evangelist. I've seen product evangelist. I've seen yeah. um, like tech evangelist. I've, I've encountered some more and I've even interviewed some of them for this podcast already, but um, you also ran into folks running teams of evangelists. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like it's in certain organizations. I I think there's more of a history with the role, and maybe it's more kind of mature. And that there's maybe some uh, like clearly defined goals of what evangelist does. Because I think that seems to be a, a thing where organizations don't know what evangelist is or like how to really utilize them effectively. So I, I think that was something I came across as well. Are those the Microsofts and Googles and Amazons yeah. of the world? Like what are some of the other names that come to mind when you think about like, oh, these people seem to have it uh, together? That's actually a good question. I didn't really think of that before sure. going into it. But yeah, I mean, any any program that claims to have an evangelism program, I think is probably on their way, but I don't know if I can answer that right off the top of my head. Yeah, I think the assumption there that's pretty safe is if they're investing in multiple people and giving them this title, they've probably got some um, yep. some ROI tied to it or, or some clarity on, on its purpose or function, at least. Yeah, definitely. Um, take, take me back to the beginning, like, and this will tie a little bit to what you're doing with after your PhD, perhaps at some yep. level, but like, um, where, where I want to go here for the next couple of minutes is um, why a PhD for you? Why the media school, and then specifically why this dissertation topic? Like, how did you like walk me into that? However, you want to. My journey is very complicated. I went into the PhD program wanting to do kind of film studies or media studies. I was, I think it was just from like a passion growing up. Like, I always like being in the theater. Like, you can always talk about film, and I, I think I was just kind of driven by passion up to my PhD. And then during it, I sort of was kind of thinking about maybe looking at different types of disciplines just because I I think I was getting burned out of like my film studies disciplines. I was kind of looking at like social science research, but I was still interested in like religion and because even in film, like I kind of like cult films and kind of like these films that people like have or like fandom in general. So I think of tech evangelism and evangelism was something that kind of drew me in as I remember reading an article about brand evangelism and I thought that was really interesting just like how they described it too was very um even like researchers would use like um like religious sort of uh language and to like show like there's relationship between like brands and uh consumers and I think that's kind of what initially interested me and then I think I was also interested in just like people's careers and kind of what they do for a living so the idea of uh talking to evangelists and kind of what they do and like how they interact with different audiences and communities. I, that was, I think that slowly started to make more sense as I did the dissertation. <laughs> I don't know if it made sense early on, but I think once I was towards the end, it's like, this makes sense, even though <laughs> my past research might not indicate that, but I think thematically it made sense. And I think it makes sense now with after PhD, just cause I'm still talking to people. Like I'm still kind of knowing kind of what they do and kind of sharing what they do. I don't think job titles or uh, job placement ad or description really tells what people do unless you really talk to them. Yeah. That's why I'm talking to people like you and a bunch of people in the role like you did for your dissertation. Uh, I love that it was just sparked by um, by a general interest in that that religious line is interesting too. I mean, just that line of thought. Um, yeah. Talk about what you found there. I mean, obviously um, it's generally popular wisdom that the idea of evangelism goes back uh, to the Greeks and the idea of spreading the good news. Originally, the good news, I think, was, is anchored in uh, a Christian message. But talk about that religious aspect of it. And you just mean in terms of like how the evangelists sort of perceive yeah. it or just in general? Yeah, in general. I mean, evangelism as a broad yeah. concept um, and the relationship maybe between uh, what you observed 
historically and religiously and then what you observed by talking with people in the tech industry? Yeah. I think the connection obviously is like in the language, but I think it sort of made a lot more sense in that relationship. Just like how Guy Kawasaki, I think you've probably yep. mentioned him in your podcast before. It was his books that really sparked the sort of topic for me too, because he was very like direct about this sort of relationship. Like he didn't really hide, like it's in the name. And I think sometimes when I was reading some research, like academic research, they didn't want to make that connection super clear. But when I read his work, it was pretty, pretty clear. <laughs> like that's where he kind of got the sort of this, this note, this concept of evangelism. But I mean, it comes from like, Christian evangelism, where it's like they would go anywhere and everywhere to spread the good news or spread this new thing that people don't really know about. And at the time, it was like Christianity because no one really knew what it was. So you have to tell everybody about it. When I say tech or innovation, it can kind of extend outside of just like iPhones or computers. Like it can be something like maybe like a water purifier that people don't know about, or just like this new idea that spreads and that people are really excited about it and kind of want to tell people about it and educate them about it. I guess that's also like that tie to religion and Christianity, because there is like this educational component too. It's like this complex thing, like tech is complex, but like religion is also complex. So it's like people have to teach other people about it to really understand it in a way that they can really like comprehend it. Yeah. One of the most interesting uh, sources that you drew on was an article. I think the magazine is called, or the website is called Risen. I didn't realize um, that Guy Kawasaki was of the Christian faith, honestly, uh, no. Even though he wears it on his sleeve, that was a really fun interview to read. And I really enjoyed reading a lot of the the work that you cited. Um, mm -hmm. Would you say, I mean, in terms of tracking the history back of tech evangelism, I, I think most people would go to Guy Kawasaki in general. Uh, I think that's mm -hmm. the most familiar name in the first, you know, notable instance was his uh, chief evangelist role at Apple. But did you felt like, how far back did you find this? Uh, I guess to use a more generic term, secular evangelism, um, you know, yeah. did you find anything older or pr prior to, to Guy Kawasaki's work? I didn't. And it seemed like the term evangelist, like, wasn't really a thing before the 80s. But now that I think about it, that that is something that when I'm kind of look back at individuals, maybe I'm I'm thinking kind of like the Edisons of the world or like the Teslas of the world. Like these people that are very much customer facing almost like they're the face of the, like this innovation. So like you could think of like people like Edison, I, I think is an evangelist because one hand they're also like businessmen, but they're also like uh, business people, but they're like evangelizing this new thing that people don't know. At the time it was like electricity or was it Tesla? Was it DC or AC? I forgot which one. I don't remember. I, I just remember there was a battle that was like VHS and beta. And, yeah, even uh, that. Yeah. And arguably sure the were... wrong one won, I think. Yeah. Well, I, and I guess that kind of also tied to my master's thesis was of like VHS, like these communities that are really like passionate about, like a new, well, in this case, like an old technology, but it's like the inverse of, yes, of like of evangelism. I feel like that would be a whole other topic of just how people use the label even because I'm sure like there might have been or they might have still used it in a religious sense like they thought of electricity as like a work of God or something I think it's just how maybe if they framed it in a certain way because I don't know if the secularism was as big of a, a thing in that time though I guess um how about this idea of a human doing this work? Like, did that factor into anything you're doing? Like, because there are obviously a mm -hmm. lot of different ways to educate, especially, you know, as we move past the 80s and 90s, 
Um, we have mainstream uh, internet access for the most part. There are a lot of different ways to connect with and educate people. Did you encounter or develop any of your own thoughts about um, a human doing this work? I have some of my own and I think it's interesting, yeah. um, but it would, I'd love to know any thoughts you have on that. Yeah, for sure. It, I think a lot of the drought evangelists is like, a lot of evangelists have a lot of experience in the industry and I I think they already have some credibility from the audience that people might already know who the name is or recognize that they know what they're talking about or either expertise or just maybe just who they are and maybe they just want to hear their story because it, it seemed like a lot of the cheap evangelists and one of the evangelists that are really just kind of speaking at conferences or like these large events, like people are going to hear them like as a person, not just like the, the evangelist, that's what they're going towards or want to attend for. So. I think the human component is still really interesting because at least it seemed like large organizations, if they're hiring evangelists, it was also because of their name. Like it wasn't just because they thought they were the best at what they do, but maybe it's also that they're recognizable in their space. So they have some sort of authority and credibility. I think the human component is really important just because that story element is just who they are. Yeah, I like the blend of trust and credibility and authority. Mm -hmm. It is interesting to observe. I'd be I should maybe run that down myself as how many people found themselves in the role because they, because of uh, expertise versus how many people were appointed to the role for their uh, authority and credibility um, that perhaps had already been developed. And that's an interesting thing. We haven't gotten into that yet on this podcast. I think this will be episode 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And we haven't really gotten into like, like what's next? Can evangelists get hired into another evangelist role? Uh, did you by chance encounter anyone who had been an evangelist in multiple different organizations? Because I have not personally. That's a good question. I know that there were a lot of advocates. So it's kind of like people that were, they, it's like they just left the boot camp and then they were really passionate about that boot camp because it helped them get a job. And they also want to kind of show other people about like the the good news about boot camps that you can make a new like you can ha- have a career out of a boot camp education um but they ended up in different types of roles it seems like with evangelism it's like it's kind of people whose careers it's like past senior almost it's like they've already kind of demonstrated that they know the space industry very well so i don't think it's like the end of the line but so you know and oftentimes uh words like and this is, could kind of go to the human uh piece of the conversation too you know a lot of the words that come up here are like passion Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like fervor, there's kind of an emotional component of the transfer of emotion, which you can characterize sales as the transfer of emotion, for example. Yeah, definitely. Um, talk about anything you found like relative to like, again, sports fandom, or, um, you even drew on televangelism, which I thought yeah. was pretty interesting. The idea of televised Christian evangelism, uh, talk about that kind of like love, loyalty, emotion, fervor, zealotry, aspect of any of this stuff like like how does that factor in why is it so important it's when i was kind of doing the research it, i mean and i really do wish i looking back that i could have extended a little bit more to really understand like the silical sort of relationship maybe with like brands and evangelists and like because a lot of times these evangelists are like behind sort of brands that are already established or there could be cases where it's like the brand is fairly new and they want to get people excited about this new thing but it seemed like, at least now, it seems like there's a lot of tech itself isn't really new, but it's like this new brand that people are also promoting. Because like when I did the case study, like boot camps were, they've been a thing for a number of years, but is this specific boot camp that they were trying to kind of promote? So I think it really kind of de- 
depends because if you're like an evangelist at a company like Google or Microsoft, like there's already a lot of like fervor or like passion around the tech anyways. So I think it's a lot of it is strategy and understanding like who your audience is. So diffusion of innovation. Uh, I think most people would popularly know this as, you know, the curve with uh, early adopters, Mm -hmm. um, early majority, late majority, and then the laggards who, gosh, they're just super, super late to the party. Um, Talk about, um, explain for anyone who's not familiar, better than I just did, uh, diffusion of innovation and how this fits into the conversation, how it fit into your dissertation. Innovation isn't necessarily like, technical it can be like an idea or it can be something maybe more abstract like just religion in general i I think it's considered like an innovation if a group hasn't heard it about it i think if the fusion of innovation like this sort of process of how society understands something new how it goes from this small group of people that are kind of learning about it and then get more passionate about it and then it kind of spreads to a new sort of audience and kind of grows from there but I just think it was just like the process of how new ideas spread from maybe some like small beginnings to like a larger audience. Cool. Uh, social identity theory. I'm not as familiar with that one. Uh, I did, mm-hmm. did, of course, encounter it in the dissertation. Share a few thoughts on that. Yeah. So I think part of it was trying to understand from like a consumer sort of perspective or like even as I was kind of exploring more just this notion of that uh, people's identity is wrapped within an evangelist label. I think a lot of times we we think we are based on our job titles or we maybe take that more than we should or something. Like I'm an SEO analyst, but I'm not an SEO analyst. I happen to be one, like is that sort of relationship. But, but yeah, I, I try to look more at like relationship from brands and individuals, but I think it turned more in the end, whereas looking at like how these evangelists make sense of their identity and like who they are based on their job title as well. Um, Cause a lot of these evangelists are kind of pulling from their personal background to, to kind of talk about where they are in their job and like how they got there or like people that come from humble beginnings, like how they ended up in their role and like maybe how the technology personally changed their life too is something else like, or how that brand might've changed their life. So yeah, I think a lot of it's just how they understand themselves in relation to their job title. That that's kind of how it ended up. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about um, because you you have the individual, mm-hmm. you have the actual product or service. Yeah, you have the brand kind of over top of both, and then you have this. What I've had a, con- a lot of conversations around is this bigger idea of you know, I'm evangelizing the problem or the shift Mm -hmm. or the, you know, the different perspective or the change in our lifestyles more than I'm evangelizing the brand or the product or the service. And so there's just multiple layers there. And it is interesting now that you laid it out for me that way to think about uh, how different people embody the role uh, relative to the problem, relative to the Mm -hmm. brand and relative to the specific product or service. Yeah, definitely. There was an evangelist who, um, He's really interested in like educational technology and like he kind of drew upon his background, like growing up at, and like, like an underserved community and like how the tech that they were using was very transformative in his life and how like he wanted to kind of help others. So I think a lot of it was like this tech uh, was something he's very passionate about because it was very personally like fulfilling or very personally like he could really talk about it passionately. But at the same time, as I kind of mentioned before, like organizations kind of see that story, though, and they kind of also like 
that's you know that people want to hear that story so it's maybe not just about the tech but it's kind of like both but yeah so it's either like they're trying to the tech solves a problem or maybe it's personally fulfilling in some way but yeah, that was a good one. I actually know that gentleman. I had him hosted him on my other podcast, uh, the Customer Experience Podcast, years ago. And um, and so really, that's a great example, by the way. This idea that the story and the passion and the sincerity and all these other things we can all connect with elevates mm-hmm. this from being just a commercial brand or a you know two hundred and forty five dollar Chromebook. To yeah. being, you know, a liberating or democratizing or, um, you know, similar kind of, you know, it elevates it. Like the human experience, mm-hmm. el- like applied, elevates the whole conversation. Definitely. Yeah. Technology is really like complicated. You're just looking at the source code for anything or like looking at documentation for anything. It can be really like, like what, what's going on or like what is the applications of this new technology and like. Like what what can it mean in my life or like personally in my life? Like I think the evangelist kind of ties the abstract with the technical maybe and tries and makes it more like how the tech solves a problem, but like how it solves a problem in your life, which might be more like a different level, I guess. <laughs> hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist-powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of chief evangelist, let's get back to it. Yeah, I like that. And it um, not only makes it more useful, it makes it um, easier to tell other people as well. Like the more you can, the more you can suggest or imply or even drive me to experience um, that transformation in my own life, the easier it is for me to evangelize it to other people as someone Mm -hmm. who is now in the fold, so to speak. Um, So one of the reasons I started this podcast is that uh, uh, that a series I did several years ago, almost four years ago now. still ranks like second or third organically for the search chief evangelist. And so I've had a number of these conversations over the years and that it it is just a reminder of how little is actually published on this topic. Like talk about that from your perspective, maybe from a couple different perspectives. One, um, did you observe similar right away Two, in terms of your advisors on the dissertation? Did any of them have concerns about the, the lack of, uh, you know, well-established norms around this, or was that an exciting factor and then uh, perhaps after we get through that, we can maybe go into um, some of the um, materials that you did find and draw upon besides the interviews. Yeah, so that's a good question because I'm very interested in it's kind of tough when it comes to academia. Maybe that's why I kind of left, but it, I'm very curious about different things, a, a wide array of things. So evangelism in this specific topic was very interdisciplinary. So there, it did pull from like communications, religion, like social science, like maybe like sociology. So my advisors, I think they were pretty open about it just because I think the topic itself was something they didn't really encounter encounter before. Like I, I had a, a person on my committee who uh, she was in religious studies department. Um, so like she had a different perspective than my media school <laughs> faculty, which is kind of what I was hoping for is like this different perspective on because I think that just kind of what interests me. Like, but that also makes it kind of troublesome when you're trying to do the research because there weren't like several books 
on tech evangelism or like there wasn't there weren't like I was it was difficult to kind of find like an established like scholar on tech evangelism or but it is maybe if you when I kind of look more at um like diffusion innovation there was more there like there's like more of established sort of literature in diffusion of innovation but just in terms of like individuals in this role I I couldn't really find as many sources as I wanted to a lot of it I was kind of having to look at like kind of Google Books, um, some like other journals I could find. A lot of them were about like brand evangel- brand, ev- blah, brand evangelism, which I cited a, a number of times. I, I try and can't think off the top of my head since it's it's been about a year <laughs> since I've kind of taken a look at it again. Yeah, that that was definitely a problem. But again, Guy Kawasaki was a gr- a great influence. Um, looking at his, his work. Um, as kind of like a, a good, really good starting point, seeing like who he cited, but also any sort of academic journals I could find. So it, it wasn't, so I had some sort of academic rigor associated with the project. Yeah, it, it, was, it was it was a struggle, but the more I went into the topic, it seemed like there was something new I didn't really think about before <laughs> or like some new source I didn't find before. So, I mean, and that's why I like research. And I, even though I left academia, like I, I still had this passion for just learning new things whatever they are. Awesome. The, you kind of drew a little bit of a line, uh, at brand evangelism. Talk, it's a subtle difference, but talk about that subtle difference from your perspective. Yeah. So the dissertation itself is primarily about tech evangelism. So primarily about like the actual innovation itself. When I talk about it, when it's like a computer, like it's it's a computer like we all know that there is very innovative in itself like if you talk to someone like 100 years ago like they would be amazed like what we're using right now to have this call on but i think brand when i when i talk about brand evangelism brand evangelism or it's how it's talked about in the research it's more about this more abstract sort of thing like when I, it's not just a computer it's an apple computer so there's some there's something more meaningful maybe or something more about it or like uh, there's a, I remember reading another study about like uh, like Jeep evangelism, like the brand Jeep. Like people are very, <laughs> like there's a lot of four by four vehicles, but like Jeep, like there's like a community around it. Maybe not just around this like four by four car, but just the brand itself and like who people identify as. Like I'm a Jeep person, <laughs> or like I only drive Jeep. But if you say you're a Land Rover person, that might signify something else. Or so yeah, I think it's just a lot of this sort of passion around like these abstract symbols in tech that can vary like because I talked to people that were the brand it was fairly newer startups so people might not know it but there's also brands that are like big that everyone knows so I think they're tied in different ways in terms of evangelism but brand evangelism it feels more like abstract like because innovation is has like this sort of already people are maybe aware of it beforehand so if that makes sense but yeah, it does. It's really, really interesting. I think of it as uh, kind of, you know, the cult of brand. And the interesting thing is that Guy Kawasaki straddles both of those lines, you know, yeah. like it was this idea of, um, you know, a new way to interact with your computer, a new way to be productive and creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, it's all done under the Apple brand. And if any company has built a cult, uh, Jeep is a great example. That one also made me think of Harley Davidson, yeah, um, kind of the cult in the in the the community around that. And then it's interesting to think about which ones have uh, emerged more organically and which ones were stoked uh, with specific activities. I think every company wants it. Nobody 
quite knows how to get it. And so it's like there's you and I could probably theorize for the next 10 minutes about how much of it is organic and how much of it can be, you know, created or manipulated, but uh, I don't know how productive that would be. So um, with, in reflection now, you already said it's a year removed from being published uh, over by over that by the time we released this. But um, when you think about the types of companies and markets that are out there, the types of companies and markets that, you know, we already talked about some that have multiple evangelists and have had them mm -hmm. for years um, but what would you say to someone who is, you know, in a young company in an innovative space, like who needs evangelism or why, or like, would you, how would you advise or encourage someone to, to consider making this a formal function? Um, like, you know, what, what's going on in their business or what's going on in the market or what are some of the characteristics where you'd say, Hey, you know, you should really take a look at this and consider it. I would say if it would really depend on the tech itself, is it, do you really find it like revolutionary or something that can change the world? Because if you do have the feeling that this new tech or like this, maybe it's a new app, who knows? Like if you really think it can change something, like I would say I'm an evangelist is a good thing because there's going to be a lot of educating that's going to be needed. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of questions. There's going to be a lot of pushback. Because um, I was kind of thinking this, I don't know if it's a tangent, but I was kind of thinking to like how crypto, like, I don't know if they need more evangelists or maybe are there too many? I'm not really sure because <laughs> at least I, I have a lot of feelings about crypto and all that stuff, but because I feel like they were evangelizing something that people didn't see the benefit in like NFT, like, because I remember like just recently, like, I think I swear I saw like NFT evangelists or something. I'm like, do they need evangelists? Mm -hmm. Like, because <laughs> like, the tech is new, but I don't know if it was changing the world in a way that like an positive way. Exciting. Yeah, I, I I have a couple thoughts there. One, I think it needed a rebrand. I think crypto yeah. uh, comes with a lot of like baggage. It sounds dark and mysterious. Yeah. It also has kind of like that crypto bro vibe. I don't know if that came before yeah. or after, but it's interesting because, you know, I, I would think that uh, that both crypto and NFT would benefit from it, but it needs like what's missing yeah. is that credibility and authority. I think, mm -hmm. you know, there are a lot of people evangelizing it, but I don't know that any of them have the trust and credibility and authority to develop. I mean, they do in a subcultural capacity, but not in this kind of the, the going to your diffusion of innovation. Um, and, you know, I think you probably the best source there is Jeffrey Moore's uh, crossing the chasm, like, um, neither really broke into mainstream because you couldn't describe it to your parents, for exactly, example, yeah. like, why is this meaningful or beneficial? And why is it, you know, uh, so volatile in terms of its value and some of these other things? I think there's a lot, there's a lot that needs to be told there, but mm -hmm. I don't know that there's a source that anyone can trust around it, especially yeah. not with the, with the FTX implosion. That's, that's uh, still pretty fresh as we're recording this. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, maybe like 10 years from now, it would make more sense to like have these people that are very mature in the industry and kind of know that have like a, a good perspective of like the history, I think also is important, like to have some sort of way to tell the story of the innovation or just how they kind of saw it through the years. But yeah, I, I know when I when I saw like the term, like, because I, I have seen like crypto evangelists, I know for sure that's a thing on LinkedIn, but yeah, I don't know. It's it makes sense in some other areas like but it just crypto to me i'm i'm just very skeptical about but but again i i think that is that 
again, my mind's very wanders in different ways of like, there could be another study about this too. Like just how people perceive the label or just like, would you want to do business with someone that has an evangelist in their title <laughs> compared to just a sales person or something? So yeah, the but, I like the I like the reference to the historian and the historical arc of yeah. a technology and how it's emerged. We actually talked about yeah. that quite a bit uh, when I hosted Daniel Jester, who um, is essentially he he had he was a photographer and ran studios for like e-commerce, like you know mm-hmm. all those beautiful product images we see on websites. Someone needs to make them, and so uh, he was very steeped in that and was involved in that from um, really its its high growth period. And in our conversation, he drew this like really clear historical story arc that allowed us to be where we are today. And then for people who weren't participating in the technology or, or the transformation that he's evangelizing he was able to like walk them into why they are where they are that helps people understand where they are. Oh, oh, okay. I just didn't make this last two set of steps or something. That history piece is really important. Um, Anything you would advise, you know, I asked you about, uh, you know, companies, markets, leaders, Um, any observations for someone who is starting to do this work or aspires to do the work? I think the role of evangelists is to make things not complex and they're, the goal is really to help people understand something in a new way or like, but again, just be very passionate about it. But it, I think it's also important to think about maybe like, I know we talked, I think our ROI was mentioned earlier, but I think when it comes like in the organization itself, like really showing like what your impact is and like having some sort of stats maybe or something like, because even though like evangelism is kind of abstract, like there needs to be some like concrete way to show that your evangelism is working. Because if you're just, evangelizing but no one seems to care that maybe you have to like rethink what you're doing <laughs> maybe like even tech itself but, but yeah I, I think that was a kind of a frustration i saw from evangelists like there wasn't they might have not got the buy-in that they wanted from organizations or that people maybe like didn't see the value as much or they had really had to like go out of the way to show what the value was um but yeah th- i think that's always kind of difficult like because if you go to a conference and then you hope people respond positively. Like, how do you really measure that? <laughs> do you speak at a conference? Like, I guess they could maybe do signups or something else, but it's a little bit harder than just like an ad online where you can really see the engagement or something. So, but yeah, I think big thing is just communication is like super important, but also buy-in from the organization and like some sort of concrete sort of ways to show how well you're evangelizing is I think important. Yeah. And that is definitely a struggle. And we talk about it almost every episode, how challenging that can be. The thing that you triggered for me there and the way that you express that was the idea that, you know, it's obviously important for the organization or to permit um, the work or the function or the role to exist, or perhaps even to invest in it and build a team of evangelists, but also for Mm -hmm. individuals, there are a lot of different personality types that really thrive on, I need to know that I'm winning and I need to know how I'm winning and so I don't just need this for, you know, the company and to justify my role and my salary or mm-hmm. however I'm being compensated. I also need it for myself. You know, I'm not of that type. Like I'm, I'm fine, like operating in a great deal of ambiguity and like, am I winning? I don't know. It feels like I'm winning, mm-hmm. but, you know, um, but the, it, it's a definitely a constant issue. So one of the ways that I typically conclude these conversations is by asking if there's something that you find yourself evangelizing in your own personal life. And I'll, if you're thinking of something fun, uh, we could, we could go to that. Like, you know, okay. uh, but what I would love to hear from you is um, after your PhD, 
Um, yep. It's something that you started. It's a, it's a, I think a blog, a LinkedIn page. Um, talk about what you're yep. doing there and, um, and the types of folks that you've drawn into that conversation. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I, I told myself like, you know, I, I think I was like burnout from my dissertation. I was like, I don't think I'm going to do much like content creation or writing. It's like, I'll take a break from it. But something about this idea of like helping people sort of navigate from uh, academia to like industry kind of where I'm at right now, just I felt like something that needed to, needed to be. And I've kind of seen other sort of things before, but they're more like services or like consultation services or some like for career coaching, which I think it works for some people, but I just wanted to have like this free resource of really just like interviews and other sort of topics I could muster. But I just, what helped me in my sort of transition was just talking to people and just interviewing people. And that was something that I was kind of doing in my dissertation. <laughs> I was like, you know, maybe I am good at talking to people and kind of letting them talk about who they are and what they do. Because I think over over the time, I've learned that people like to talk about themselves and evangel. It was really surprisingly easy to evangelist because I think they they want to talk like they want to talk about what they do and what they're passionate about. So it was really sort of easy to let that happen. And I think a lot of PhDs are willing to like talk about their experience too, because I would imagine most PhDs had some sort of stress or anxiety in their life, where just like they just don't know where, where they're gonna go or like what they want to do. Uh, if the academic job market's so tough and competitive, they, they just want to help other people. And anytime I'm on LinkedIn and I reach out, like usually people respond, like they, they want to talk about their stories. So I think after PhD, hopefully it kind of fills this gap where I interview them and they can share their story, but also like share it to as many people as they can. So, cause I know a number of PhDs who they're just kind of busy anyways, even after leaving and at their own jobs and their own life, but people still want to want to pick their brains, I guess, or kind of understand like how they got to where they are at that point. So I I think the site ideally is I can use it to help them kind of share their story too with other people and then can kind of share a link maybe instead of having to do like several calls that are really difficult. I mean, not really difficult, but really difficult to find their schedule because there's a, there's a ton right now they're kind of moving to UX or data science and these kind of more popular sort of sectors, but um. But yeah, and I guess that's right now maybe what I'm passionate about evangelizing. Maybe not necessarily, um, like, I know the academic system has a lot of problems, and I, I try not to be as critical of that just because there are people in that system, and some do, some are successful, and you can't really, like, I don't, I don't want to knock them down, and, like, that's their own path. But to me, I'm just kind of evangelizing, like, the ability to just ask questions and the ability to, like, talk to people and just kind of, know that there are other paths outside of academia and that you can still have a fulfilling life and you're more than like your job title <laughs> you're more than a researcher like or evangelism like how like people are very attached to, like their title but i think academia like we that happens too like or just the doctor label like it's kind of hard to see yourself outside of the system so helping people see that you can be more than that or you can have your own identity outside of that i think is what i'm evangelizing I love it. I really appreciate your approach to it. And um, it's, I mean, it's such a healthy uh, development for you personally. And I like the yeah. way that it applies to, to other people as well. Um, for folks who've enjoyed our time here, um, where would you send them to follow up to maybe connect with you on LinkedIn or to, to check out even uh, after your PhD? Yeah. So 
I'm going to actually do have another interview scheduled for after PhD. I'm, I'm talking to like a, he works in the, the legal field and uh, he's a lawyer. So we were going to talk about transitioning from uh, like, what? A, like uh, careers in legal to like industry. So uh, I'm kind of, I'm going to be talking to him, but yeah, I would check out after your PhD.com course. Cause I'm hoping to kind of revamp it a little bit, add some more interviews, um, maybe try to add some more articles I can find, but, um, but yeah, the, the site's good. Um, usually on LinkedIn, I'm happy to really connect with anybody on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm sure you'll, you can share in the comments. Or I think my email is on the site, your PhD at gmail.com is good too. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy to just talk to people, not just like a consulting basis, but just, if they just want to ask questions. I'm, free to answer those. Uh, but if anyone, anyone wants to like also be interviewed for the site, I'm down. I'll link that stuff up. We do that uh, everywhere that we publish the episodes, which we do, of course, at all the podcast players. We do it in mm-hmm. YouTube. We do it at chiefevangelist.com. He is Ryan Collins. So I'll link up all the things he mentioned there. I am Ethan Butte. I also am down to talk to people. I talk to people all the time about evangelism. I talk to people about podcasting. I talk to people about books. Uh, mm-hmm. And I really appreciate your approach, Ryan. I appreciate you taking on this topic. Uh, and I'm really glad you reached out on it uh, because I've learned a lot from you. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N-B-E-U-T-E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.